We're recording late on a Friday morning with the weekend coming up. Shockingly, it's a Friday and the weekend is coming up. That never happens. Uh, I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I'm the host of this esteemed podcast. And uh, on the Skype line, have you ever actually been on this podcast? It's uh, it's Michael Pina from SB Nation. Hello, Fred. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I've been either in this iteration or one of the former names of whatever podcast you had before but we've chatted uh, i know we've podcasted but i don't yeah. i mean i know i i know that but i don't remember if you've been on this one specifically i don't think so this is the the after dark special what have you yeah no i don't i don't think i've been on on this one that that's what this should be called the after dark special <laughs> what have you just roll like, right off the tongue yeah that should be actually you know what, that should be a segment for this season the After Dark special, what have you? Feel like it could, that could really take off. I I have to figure out what it would be first. We'll brainstorm after. I feel like it would be like an an <laughs> an especially risque summation of the game. Yes, and there will be plenty of opportunity for that covering the Washington <laughs> Wizards this season. <laughs> Gotta fill time somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. So so Mike does uh great work at SB Nation. Also a former colleague of mine at uh FoxSports.com's extremely underrated NBA team, which was together <laughs> for a year. Short lived but but legendary, I would say. Short lived but legendary. We had a yeah. good team. We had a great team. Jovan was there, Lynch was awesome. Mm-hmm. DJ Foster. Oh, man, DJ. Just a great cast all the way around. We had a good crew. Yeah. And then we all uh, then we all got destroyed by a pivot to video. <laughs> <laughs> For the best. For the best. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Um, what, what's, should we talk about basketball on, on this date of August 23rd? Uh, should we should we talk about basketball with with one rule? Can we just not talk about Devin Booker getting double teamed? You don't want to you don't want to bring that up? No. Oh my god. I'm 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 furious about how much people care. Well, now that you've brought it up, I have to ask what your take is. My take is that I I don't care. I just don't care. <laughs> why why in the world? This is the ultimate situation of like People seeing something that happens in 2019 and being like, I guess I have to have an extreme reaction to that. It, to uh, me, that's just like a dude playing pickup and not liking a particular play in, in a game yeah. that I'm not involved in. There are nine people in the world who have the, a reason to care about what happened there, and it was the other nine on the court. I just couldn't care. I care. I care so. I care so little that the amount that I don't care is actually passionate. I'm, I was, I, I'm I passionate would say, about my, my just <laughs> indifference for this entire situation. I would say that this storyline is proof that the NBA is not a 12-month-a-year sport. <laughs> like anyone, yes. Anytime anyone wants to say that, I'll be like, do you remember August 2019? Literally nothing important happened. But you know what? Could you imagine, like, if people who listen to this podcast or follow me on Twitter or whatever, like, know that I I love baseball. When I grew up, I wanted to be 
I was growing up, like, from nine years old, I was like, I want to be a baseball writer or baseball announcer. I covered baseball in college, and I covered college baseball, and I covered the Cape Cod League, and, like, I wanted to be a baseball writer, and I I love baseball. So this is not meant to demean baseball. But could you – it also shows how far ahead it is from baseball in terms of just being in the discussion. Because, like, can you imagine if, like – if, like, Mike Trout were taking batting practice in January and someone threw him a curveball, Mike Trout was like, you can't throw me a curveball, it's batting practice. And the entire internet was just like, oh my god, you can't throw Mike Trout a curveball in January? Because that is the same stupid-ass situation that we're in right now with Devin Booker. It's the exact same thing. And you realize how stupid we all are for buying into this thing. And also, do you realize how far behind baseball is? That that could never in a million years be a thing in baseball. I actually think that I, I mostly agree with what you just said, and I kind of think like something like that would be the peak baseball story, which does kind of diminish baseball's <laughs> impact on the culture. I would say, <laughs> say pretty dramatically. Yeah, every, every you know what though, this is like the peak basketball story. Everyone's going to talk about like people are going to monitor how Devin Booker does in double teams now. Why isn't Devin Booker on Team USA? Has that been answered? They 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 double team a lot. They double team a ton. Yeah, couldn't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> Had to work uh, out a game. No, it's a it's a great question. Uh, I, I he he's certainly good enough to be there. Where do you fall? Oh, he's, he's good enough. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely good enough. I mean, uh, you know, I know I know you wouldn't start him over Marcus Smart. No, the, well, the captain of the team. Let's let's address him with how, the, pro- the proper label. How <laughs> how pleased were you with yourself when you saw that Marcus Smart was going to be the captain of Team USA? I was I was pretty happy. Um, I would say you know surviving training camp with a calf injury. I was a little worried. Uh, happy he didn't get cut or drop out. And look where it got him. Perseverance, that's that's what Marcus Smart is all about. And I just hope he does not, you know, sacrifice his body for Team USA, diving into, like, the sixth row in a, a, a game in China and, like, lacerating his, his, his knee or something and needing surgery. That would be absolutely terrible, but I could see it happening. So I'm just uh, – good health for Marcus is kind of what we're, we're looking for and, and praying for every day. I hate these things about like so and so is left to concentrate on on concentrate on preparing for the upcoming season. How the hell is playing basketball with and against the best competition you can possibly play and being coached by Greg Popovich not preparing for the upcoming season? That's just code for I was cut, right? In most really, that was that was that was De'Aaron Fox, and and I, I, I know, love De'Aaron was, Fox, man. It, He's awesome. Is, is it a zero percent? chance that he was actually cut and this was a cover for it i know that there was so much praise for him from the national media that was there and obviously he's a tremendous player but i don't know i I mean i I wouldn't say it's impossible it better be a zero percent chance because he is really damn good like he's he's really good right now i would want him with that with the way that roster is i would want him on that team You'd be one of the first guys I would want on that team. 
maybe he they he found out he wasn't starting, and that and that irked him. You know, there's there's different things that could have happened. I don't know. I I don't, I'm not saying that that is likely or anything, but I, just, I do think I it was pretty weird. Like, yeah, I mean, look, I just I just feel like if you're a really good established player already, if you're LeBron or whomever, I get it. And 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 they FIBA messed up by putting the World Cup and and the Olympics in back-to-back years because people are going to choose one or the other. That's just the way this works, especially people with, like, one thing that, that people never really say is, like, the full-on reason, but I'm convinced is a reason uh, in a lot of these scenarios that guys pull out of Team USA and mm-hmm. we don't talk about it, but it's got to be real because it's real in every other scenario in life with every other job. Basketball players have to completely dedicate their schedules to their professions at least seven months a year, right? That mm-hmm. means no weekends, no holidays, no nothing. It means even when you don't have a game and you're home, yeah, you can say hi to your family. But, like, I don't know if the average person realizes how much a player's mind is just elsewhere during the season. Happens with me, man. Like, when I'm just – when I'm going through every single day and I'm traveling 45% of the days that I'm in existence and I'm covering games other (laughs) nights and I get my my rare night off, it's just like that night off, I'm just kind of in another place than I am in, like, August when I can just chill and not think about the grind. It's just different. And it's that times 100 when you're actually a player between the stress and the pressure and the difficulty of the job and all that stuff. Uh, you know, that times a 1,000. And so I don't think people realize how strong that is. So guys who have families – their time to hang out with their families, guys or families or, or significant others or whatever, their time to hang out with them is the summer. And if you spring on – if you go to your wife and you say, oh, hey, by the way, um, I know we uh, just had a newborn, but uh, I'm, I'm going to miss this summer and next summer. There's a decent chance like that's not going to – either A, go over well, or B, something to be something that that player even wants to do because they don't want to be away from their family for two consecutive summers. So, like, doing that in back-to-back summers, I feel like, is just going to evoke those sorts of situations a lot more common. And I, we don't talk about guys pulling out as, like, being people that often. We talk about it as, like, kind of literally exactly what I just did with mm-hmm. De'Aaron Fox. But, like... That That is, like, a really, really, really legit personal reason to pull out, and nobody gives it as an excuse. Nobody says, yeah, J.J. Reddick kind of did. Uh, but nobody just flat out says, like, no, nah, nah, I'm, I'm just – I'm not leaving my family two summers in a row. I'm not doing that. Uh, I wish someone would do that. I feel like it would be the most relatable reason to not play Team USA. Yeah. I think the – what you were just – talking about a few seconds ago about unplugging and trying to get away and how it's so hard during the season to do that mentally. I I can totally relate to that as well. I mean, like when I'm able to completely unplug, it is the most 
like peaceful, like relatively peaceful thing I can do. And that is just about impossible when the season's going on, when free agency's going on, when you're worried about the draft and this and that. It's like really just one month for us to mentally escape <laughs> from it, I guess. And, and kind of like regather yourself. Um, so for a player who has to worry about the mental aspect of it and the physical aspect, like I couldn't even imagine doing Team USA. It's like a huge honor and everything, but the travel, the training camp, the, all of that, it just seems like a lot. So much. I, covering Team USA mm. would be uh, a lot. a lot of people do it. But you know, this is when we uh, this is when we're supposed to be not caring about Devin Booker getting double teamed. No, I'm, I'm 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 so checked out, <laughs> which is a great introduction for this podcast conversation. <laughs> All right, now that we've established that you're extremely unqualified, <laughs> uh, let's. Uh, I have a Wizards thing for you. Okay. How concerned should we be that uh, Mo Wagner got cut by the German national team? So you <laughs> you told me this. You broke this to me right before we started to record, and my reaction was one of shock and surprise. I, there was some I'm profanity not, in there as There well. was a little bit of profanity that I will not repeat because I don't want to make you go through the bleep button. But I, I, I mean, who, how was he cut? I don't even understand what the competition was, like how – I. It is shocking to me. Was this like a political reason? Like I, I don't. He's in. How many German players are in the NBA? Like I, I don't understand how this happened. There aren't many. Um, <laughs> it, this was. Uh, this is broken, by the way, by. Damn, it was either Euro Hoops or Sportondo. It was one of the two. Um, yeah, it's. I think there's reason to be concerned about it. I think there's reason to be concerned. By the way, the, Isaac Bonga's there. Maxi Kleba's there. Uh, Schroeder's there. Daniel Tice is there. Um, Paul Zipser. Paul Zipser. I'm uh, looking at the, the list now of all yeah, the German yeah, actors. Johannes, Johannes, Johannes Boydman is not an NBA player, uh, but is NBA player quality, if you ask any scout. He actually worked out for the Wizards and the Celtics. This summer, um, I know both those teams gave serious consideration to signing him, but he ended up signing. Where did Boyman sign? Turkey? I think Turkey. Mm-hmm. He's like a third big, you know, stretch five type. Um, so, yeah. I mean, look, maybe maybe they just – it's just because they have Tice and they have Boyman. They don't need – and they have Kleba, and they don't need a fourth center. But – I. Yeah, I guess so, but but like if if you're the German team, you could use an NBA player. And Wagner was not great during his rookie year. Um, where do you stand on him right now? So my wife went to the University of Michigan, so I do not watch college basketball, but I do watch Michigan sometimes when she's around and when she's around. You really are establishing yourself as an authority. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> when she's around, by the way. So, so <laughs> caught, caught some of him at Michigan, uh, was not 
super impressed when he was drafted by the Lakers. There was like a this probably isn't true, but I read that uh, or saw someone. I forget where I heard this, but you know the fact that um, what's his face? I'm completely blanking on the GM of the Los Angeles Lakers right now, but Rob he. Yes, Ravelinka. Thank you. I'm, I'm, when I said I'm checked out, I, I'm I'm very checked I, out. Another um, this you are you are someone who I I've seen write about random third stringers. This is this is the most Michael Pina <laughs> moment because I've I've seen you write about like the Charlotte Hornets should should really play their third string small forward more because he has tremendous footwork when he has to yes. help him recover on the perimeter. <laughs> and then and then you're following up with so who's the GM of the Lakers? <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> I I'm guilty. Um Rob Polinka, yes, apologies to Rob Polinka. Um he also went to the University of Michigan, I believe, and so there was that connection and that is why he was drafted. Um, I mean, whenever I would watch him last year when he was on the court with LeBron, I thought it was a lot, there was a lot of unintentional comedy because, you know, he would be in the wrong place religiously. He would drop no look passes. LeBron's just general attitude towards him, I I found to be pretty funny. Uh, so that was like my primary takeaway of his NBA existence. And then when he was traded to the Wizards, I mean, I thought that, you know, that's a, a currently somewhat of a Siberia situation, and I know he's on a rookie scale, but I, I just don't know how much longer he'll be in the league, and for him to get, you know, cut by the German national team, not a great sign. No, it's not a great sign, uh, and he didn't look great in summer league either. I mean, I think the number one thing that's going to be real for him is if he is going to be a contributor, he has got to be like a real three-point shooter, like a like a, a, a true, reliable three-point shooter who you can at the very least kick to on the perimeter. He can play the five full-time, and if he's going to catch and shoot, he will hit it 38 to 40% of the time. And that doesn't mean 38 to 40 overall, but like on catch and shoots, you want that going in at 38%, which is not that high above league average. But you you need that from him, I think, if he is going to be a real reliable player. And I know that's what the Wizards want to turn him into. We'll see if it happens. I mean, the Wizards really liked him come draft night. He was, you know, it's been reported numerously that they considered taking him. Uh, I So it was Troy Brown. You know, this is this is where my mind is. If I had a better memory, it would make reporting so much easier. Because the, when, they, when they took Troy Brown 15th, their board was the remaining players. It was of the remaining players, their highest ranked guys. It was Troy Brown, then mm-hmm. it was someone else, and then it was Wagner. And I can't remember who the someone else was now. Uh, and uh, that's that's some great reporting. Someone else, <laughs> what a guy. Uh, so uh, so they liked Wagner a lot. That's part of the reason why they made this deal. And look, this deal was. Wagner could be out of the league, and they, or they could just not pick up his option, and this deal would still be a tremendous trade. They just slithered their way into the Anthony Davis deal. All they gave up was $1.1 million in cash and legit nothing else, and they got back Wagner, 
Bonga, Jamario Jones, and even if none of those guys ever play one meaningful NBA minute for an NBA team ever again, they still got an unprotected 2022 second-round pick. So a fantastic trade. I mean, if you're going to get an unprotected second-round pick for uh, for $1.1 million, that's a, that's, a, that's a deal you do on draft night every time. So a great deal no matter what, and they're taking their risk on Wagner, but it's not great. Not great that he got that he got cut. I mean, Tice Tice is a solid player, and and Kleba's wildly. Although actually, maybe he's not underrated after he got seriously paid this summer. But I would have said he was underrated two and a half months ago because he's a great defender and he can he can do do stuff on offense and and you know Voitman. I I I don't know much. I know everything I know about him is you know secondhand. You know, just kind of what I've been told by scouts when I know when I knew he worked out for the Wizards. Uh but from what I hear he's a solid player. But that being said, not great, Bob. No. I like Kleba a lot. Kleba's uh, good, man. He's really good. He's good. He can shoot. He's like uh just like a really good shot blocker. Uh super athletic. Um Tice I've seen a ton and I'm I think his game might be better internationally. I mean, he's – I was kind of surprised the Celtics brought him back, to be honest. He's just like a foul machine. Like, he – I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me right now, but I want to say he averaged like six fouls or seven fouls or eight fouls per 36 minutes or something ridiculous like that. Um, here's 6.4 per 36 last year. Um yeah, so uh, not great that he couldn't make the team is, I guess, the conclusion to this conversation. <laughs> Tice moves his feet well, though. Mm. Like mm. You disagree? I I would say there were a lot of situations where he just picked up a whistle because it looked like it was a foul when it might not have been, but he was out of position quite a bit, and... I don't know. His is like he, he, the the thing about him is that he's ostensibly a, a shot blocking big who can also, uh, you know, rim roll, shoot a little bit. Uh, he's pretty versatile on the pick and roll. So at the price that they pay him, it's nice. But my hunch is that the reason they brought him back was at the money that they brought him back at, which is more than they're paying Ennis Cantor. Um, is to use as a trade ship eventually down the line and just have that kind of contract uh, on their cap sheet. All right, let's 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 talk about a less depressing storyline for the Wizards. You don't Although I don't even Celtics. know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if Wagner is is a depressing storyline. It's just a storyline that's not a positive one. Rui Hachimura has been destroying people in international play. Now. He is going to be the only dude who shoots on that Japanese team. Uh, he should be destroying people in international play. He's the first option, one of the very few people in the world who are the first option on their national teams. But, like, he's dude's putting up numbers. He had 35 the other night against some some bad team. I forget who. And then he had he had 23 against Argentina, 23-7-5. Um a lot of these, I mean, I've watched not a ton. I'm not going to give great analysis on this. A lot of his buckets are coming on just kind of like cuts where nobody seems to be talking defensively because it's like 
international play. And these guys are all still, as much as, you know, other countries can say that they are more familiar with their own players uh, than we are because they practice more and get together every summer and all that. Like, and there are fewer of like, you know, the great players from those countries, obviously. Um, as much as they can say that, like, this isn't the NBA. They're not practicing together every single day. The communication's not always there. And, like, there are so many scenarios where Rui is just kind of, like, you know, backing guy down. He just kind of turns, and there's no defender there. He's like, okay, layup, or where he cuts. And he's like, all right, layup. But <laughs> but I will say and encourage Look, it's better than if it's not happening. Having the spatial awareness when you're not even a rookie yet is a very good thing to be able to go where people aren't. Uh, his jump shot looks different. And I know that's a thing the Wizards have been working with on him, getting getting like a small hitch out of his jump shot, working on his footwork, going into his shot. I mentioned in a live chat that I did on The Athletic last week that I'm working on a on kind of an extended piece about his jump shot. I'm not sure when we're going to post that. Probably closer to the season now because we are in the Devin Booker double team period when people don't, uh, might not read as, as much. So I think we might post it closer to the season. But uh, you know, you got to tie that angle into the story somehow, <laughs> Fred. It's true. I I have a mention of the Devin Booker double team in a story that's supposed to come out today. So, <laughs> in reference to how little anybody should care about it, um, but uh, his jump shot it looks different. It's smoother when he catches and sh- when he catches and shoots. He's going straight up. Um, that's a big thing. Like if if he can be comfortable from distance, and I don't think the Wizards expect him to be comfortable from distance right away. So I think they're going to live with some mid-range attempts during his rookie year, as long as there's progress, as long as he's still taking stuff, because I think for him, they realize it's more of a developmental thing than a realizing good or bad shots things right now. I think it's just getting him comfortable with shooting from 24 feet as opposed to 19 feet. And if he shows progress and in consistently in his consistent form, that would be a really big deal, I think. Uh, and and it, his shot looks different right now than it did around this time last year at the start of the year at Gonzaga. I'm 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 intrigued. I am intrigued. How I'm watching some highlights right now of his game against Argentina. How bad was the shot before? Because I mean, it's it's there's still a little bit of a hitch. It's not like the smoothest thing, but he does he does seem to have confidence in it. Um, just watching these highlights, I mean, that's not like the end all be all of analysis, obviously. But I mean, he's taking pull ups. There's a step back in here that didn't go in, but at least he tried it. Um, handling the ball quite a bit, and you know, there's all those off ball cuts that you referred to. But at what like how? I don't know. I, I just just based on like ten seconds of watching this one game, uh, I, I am not optimistic, as you said, of him maybe being like an effective three point shooter at least as a rookie. Oh, I don't expect him to be an effective three point shooter as a rookie either. Okay. Um, I think the reason why I say I'm optimistic is because the form looks a little different. Like he's he's employing some footwork stuff. The Wizards kind of want him to do his footwork was inconsistent like he'd go out between um like a hop and a step uh, mm-hmm. when when he was in college and 
the Wizards are just trying to keep it more consistent, get him into the step instead. Uh, and so, like, things like that, when you see those things happening more consistently, like, it's not going to happen overnight. He's not going to wake up and and shoot 36% from three on four and a half attempts a game. Like, that's not going to happen. He's probably not going to shoot great from three this year. And then he's going to move forward. But one thing that is worth noting with him, you know, he shot on, like, a high volume. He he hung around the mid-range completely at Gonzaga. And he shot, like, 46 or so percent on mid-range pull-ups at Gonzaga. That's very good. On, on like, on, like, a legit volume. Like, not on, like, 20 shots. Like, on, like, two or three a game, if not more. Um, that's a lot. Like, that is an unbelievably high percentage. And I think one of the reasons why the Wizards took him. Look, the Wizards would not have taken him. There was that whole thing with Tommy Shepard where Tommy Tommy joked at the press conference, like, oh, you can shoot threes, right? You told me you can shoot threes. And it was so clearly a joke. And someone tweeted out the video and was like, Tommy Shepard didn't even ask him if he could shoot threes. It's like, obviously. <laughs> and it became a thing. Like, the Wizards drafted a guy they didn't even know if he could shoot threes or not. It's like... How, another thing that's just people being so stupid. Like, that was A, so clearly a joke, and B, Tommy Shepard had the previous night spoken about, in nuance, why they believe Rui Hachimura could end up being a three-point shooter. And one of the reasons why they think Rui could become a three-point shooter uh, is because they kind of believe, all right, if you can shoot 46 off the dribble from 19 feet, then you can shoot 36 catch and shoot from 24 feet. Uh, I think that's a reasonable assumption. I think that logic makes sense, and they believe that they can kind of fix fix the hitch and the shot and all that. Um, and the fact that you see any if you see any change at all, um, if you see any consistency, like it's not going to be all the way there, but just the slight stuff, the very slight stuff, like that's that's great. Like that, that, those slight things, those are the markers that I think you want to see every four months, six months, eight months, whatever it might be, as long as you see that positive direction. And then in two or three years, maybe he's there, but I, I, it's not like he's just going to come out firing and shooting 38% from three on a high volume for during his rookie year. That's not happening. So what do you project from him as a rookie in terms of playing time? Is he... I'm looking at the roster. Is he going to start? Um, no, he's not going to start. I mean, he might start down the line if he's good, but he's not starting right away. I, I don't think the Wizards want to throw him in the deep end. I think they're they're going to play him as conservatively as possible, and they're gonna they're gonna give him minutes. And on opening night, if he plays like a rookie, he'll play 18 minutes. And then the second night, he'll play 18 minutes. And then depending on how he's doing, like, I don't think he's ever going to not play. But, you know, depending on how he's doing, uh, you know, it'll it'll dictate from there. If he comes out and he's just awesome, and it's like, well, we, we can't just continue to bring him off the bench and play. You know, maybe he'll bring him off the bench and play him 25 minutes. And if he's just, like, really, really good and, you know, some of their other forwards aren't, it's not like – you know, Bertans has a down year or something like that. They'll start him. I just think they want to ease him in. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a situation where you don't want to just give a rookie minutes just because you want him to earn the minutes. But I'm looking at the, you know, his competition at, I presume he'll play the four, a good deal isn't really that stiff. And, you know, this is kind of a situation in Washington this year where you would think you would want to give the lottery pick as much opportunity as possible and as much experience as possible in game type situations, unlike what <clears throat> the Wizards did last year with Troy Brown, which I thought was a little bit of a mistake. Oh, what they did last year with Troy Brown was 100% a mistake. Yeah. They should have been giving him minutes from the beginning and they should have been playing him. And I think, I think there's a, like, I think there's a, there's a happy medium there. You don't have to start him and play him 34 minutes a game right away. Right. I, I, I totally believe there is value to a rookie not coming in and being like, all right, things are handed to me. Like, I completely believe there is value in saying, all right, you, you can get 18 minutes. You want more? Go show me why you need why you deserve more. And then if he does it, then that's great. Now, I don't think just because he has two bad games, now all of a sudden he's out of rotation. That's what happened with Troy Brown. And then you're just screwing yourself in terms of his development for next year. Scott Brooks talked at the end of the year when he was playing about, oh, you know, look how much Troy Brown has developed. It's like, yeah, well, you wasted the other three months of doing that. So I don't, I'm not a believer in that. But I also am a believer in not just coming out and there's, there's something for making the rookie work. I mean, even the highest character guys, and I think it's probably like this in any competitive profession. The highest of character guys can come in and be like, I'm going to work really, really hard. I'm going to outwork everybody. And, and that's my number one plan. And he, you can really mean it. But you're probably wrong if you're thinking that as a rookie. And the reason why is because most rookies, this is, this is true for, I'm going to say it, not even most. All rookies have no idea what working hard is in the NBA until they see it. You just can't know. You can think you're going to work hard. I've, I've spoken to tons of players who are extremely well, as well-intentioned as you could possibly be, who came into the league and were like, I'm going to work my ass off. And then they came in, they were like, oh, my God, that's what working your ass off is? I need to do. And then some guys are like, I just can't do that. Like, I, I don't have the ability to do that because working hard is a skill. Uh, and there's, I don't have the ability to do that. I'll try hard, but I can't do that. And then there are some guys who, who say, okay, I guess I have to change now. And then they work harder at working hard. And, but it's so rare for someone to come in and know what working hard is. So if you want to push that guy to work hard, yeah, like don't give him stuff, but also don't take everything away. So if he, if he plays well off the bat, He'll eventually start, especially if, like, it's clear that he's much better than Bertans or something like that. Uh, but I think the Wizards want to create that situation, and they want to create that culture where, like, they're encouraging him to work. And also where he doesn't feel overwhelmed. He's already going to have so much attention on him from an entire country of media following him around and all that kind of stuff. And he seems like a very level-headed kid, and from everything everyone tell, told me, that's true. Uh, but... I think just from an overwhelmingness perspective, they don't they don't just want to toss him into the ocean without any sort of uh, you know what's it called a rescue rod life I, <laughs> life jacket life jacket there we go rescue rod 
Rescue rod. Wow. <laughs> Never heard that term before in my life. <laughs> That's um, not a thing. That's not I a thing. Say, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think it's a thing. Um, I will say to your point about rookies coming in and not working hard, I think that that speaks to the value of being a rebuilding team and, you know, having veterans on your roster who can either lead by example or teach the younger players, you know, what it means to work extremely hard and to put in the type of uh, work ethic that is necessary to improve actually during an NBA regular season. I mean, I just, I don't mean to segue here, but I think some of the signings that the the Wizards uh, had this offseason or some of the acquisitions were are pretty valuable. I mean, you know, guys like CJ Miles and uh, Isaiah Thomas. I think Isaiah Thomas is just like a very valuable culture. I mean, he's he's obviously looking for minutes and looking to reestablish himself as an NBA player, but uh, just in terms of someone who has set culture before in really successful situations, I thought that 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 addition was was pretty important. Yeah, especially I mean, look, Tommy Shepard has talked about how important he thinks he could be for John Wall. Just having somebody who's there, who was a you know an All NBA player, a guy who's been on MVP ballots, who John Wall's John Wall can respect his game, and who can say like, "Hey, I know this rehab you're going through. Like I've I've had this is not the same injury, but I've had a major injury derail my career. Here's how I'm going to help you." just from a personal standpoint. I think that's really important for the Wizards. I think that was really important in when to sign Isaiah Thomas. Uh, I mean, Tommy Shepard has essentially said as much. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think Isaiah Thomas, is, from a locker room perspective, is honestly going to be more valuable than Isaiah Thomas on the court. And I don't think there are that many delusions about uh, what he can and can't do at this point. Uh, but I think there are... I think they're really looking forward to what he could potentially do as a pro in the locker room because a lot of people like that dude. I really hope that Isaiah Thomas is the starting point guard on opening night for the Washington Wizards. I don't think that's happening. No, it's ish. It's ish. It's ish. I don't mm. think. I don't think there's like. I think there's like no way that happens. No way. No way. Yeah. I think. I think they're gonna look to to. Considering it's injury history, I think they want him against second units and not in heavy minutes. Yeah, I mean that that definitely makes sense. Uh, I, like Isaiah's obviously views himself as a starter in this league still, and that's the type of mindset you need to have. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how many minutes he's able to play in crunch time and, and situations like that alongside Brad Beal, if Brad Beal is still on the team. Um, I, I don't even know how much you've discussed. I'm assuming you've discussed Brad Beal a ton in every episode and that situation, but um, it's one that fascinates me as well. Not to segue once again and just completely dominate the conversation on your own podcast. This is why but, I have you. Okay. <laughs> But uh, if Brad Beal is still around, I think that, you know, rejuvenated IT and Brad Beal just doing his thing as someone who probably should have or maybe definitely should have been an All-NBA player last year, um, that's like an interesting little backcourt. Um, 
for a team that is, you know, does not have expectations to or ex- external expectations to make the playoffs. I voted for Beal for All NBA last year. It was really surprising that he didn't make it. I gotta say, I, I wasn't I, surprised. I, you were not surprised. You thought that Kemba was going to. I was get those I, votes. I actually thought I thought Beal was going to get it, but I was like, I knew it was going to be Beal or Kemba because I, I I tried to do like a poll of writers who I figured had votes and just like mm-hmm. just try to get an idea. And most of the writers I spoke to, pretty much everyone voted for. Beal or Kemba, and I was like, okay, it's definitely either Beal or Kemba, and I was like 51-49 on it being Beal, but like, after it happened, I was like, I should have realized that just my circle of people I was reaching out to were more likely to vote for Beal, and that there were going to be so many other people who voted who were just going to look at a guy on a team with 50 losses, and were like, I'm not voting for that guy. I can't vote for someone on on a team with 50 losses. Yeah, I mean... I thought he was just so tremendous. I mean, I obviously I did too. I voted for him. I he, he, look. I'm not a huge believe. Wins are great. They're the best thing you can do in the sport. Uh, you can only do so much. The Wizards did not lose 50 games because of Bradley Beal. The Wizards won 32 games because of Bradley Beal. God knows how many games they would have won if they didn't have Bradley Beal. Now, so I also like it, it's it's pretty interesting that you know Scott Brooks was on Chris Mannix's podcast the other day and said that he thinks Beal can average eight or nine assists per game this season. Like I feel like we have not seen. He just turned twenty six years old. I feel like we have not even seen. I've been so high on Bradley Beal for years. I feel like we have not seen the best of what he is able to do, and I don't know if we'll. we'll be able to see it in a situation where defenses are just going to load up against him. But, you know, again, like if IT can do anything this year and try to take a little bit of the load off offensively and draw some attention, like I I just think Brad Beal could be just such a monster this season. Oh, he could. He gets better every year. Mm -hmm. I expect him to be better this year than he was last year. I think it's going to be very hard for him to make All-NBA because if it was hard to make it to overcome that barrier of losing 50, it's going to be even harder to overcome that barrier of losing more than 50, which is what I think is going to happen this year. So I think that's going to be make it really tough for him. But he could average 28, 5, and 7. Like, that's that's possible. That's really possible. And he didn't shoot the three well by his standards last year. He really didn't. He had a early season slump and then kind of caught hot from three and then just kind of evened out at 35 for the year. He he could at some point, especially just given the players around him, like if he were on a 60-win team, he wouldn't put up these numbers. But given the players around him, like it is conceivable for him to go 45 from the floor or 48 from the floor, high 30s or even 40 from three, which he's done before, but he's going to have to do it on a much higher volume now. So let's say, like, it's conceivable, like, a 48, 38, 80 season when averaging, like, 28, 5, and 7. Like, that, that is a plausible thing, I think. No, I think he has a high-volume 50-40-90 season in him. That's, I, that's, like, what he should be shooting for. I don't know if that's going to happen this season, but... I think that that is attainable. Um, He's a weirdly so it, not great free throw shooter. Yeah, I'm looking at the numbers right now, and it's a little disappointing. 
Um, it's really based weird. on just how beautiful his stroke is, and and you know he's a he's like otherwise a great shooter. Is he's not he's not a it's not like he's a like he's a good free throw shooter. He's just not he's he was like eighty last year. It's good. He just you would expect him to be like literally one of the best in the league, and he's not he's not that at all. You would expect him to be at least in the mid eighties. Like I would expect him to hit like fifty in a row during a stretch, right? Like Ray Allen, right? And um, he, he just doesn't. It seems to me like, based on the tenor of this conversation, that you believe he there is a zero percent chance he is going to get traded. Not zero. Um, uh, unlikely. 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 At least in the immediate future, things change. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. I can't read Bradley Beal's mind. I know Bradley Beal has given the Wizards no indication that he wants to be traded, and I know the Wizards have given everybody else every indication that they don't want to trade him. So you put those two things together, and yeah, I think it's unlikely. But I don't know what's going. Bradley Beal's a really, really quiet guy. Or not quiet. He's not quiet. He's a uh, a really uh, private guy. Is a better way to put it. He's mm-hmm. not quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a really private guy, and he is very, very good at giving everybody the answer that they think that they are getting without actually really giving the answer, you know? Uh, and so I can't say for absolute certain. and Brad keeps his circle tight, and he doesn't tell random extraneous people, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I want to do. That's just that's just not how he rolls, and that's how a lot of times a lot of this information gets out. You tell a friend who tells a friend who tells a friend who tells a friend who tells a reporter, and then the reporter gets tipped, and then they find out this stuff that so and so wants out of this place, and or maybe there's like a person you're close with who who's talking. Um, Brad, that's just not going to happen with Brad. So so I think when we find out if Brad doesn't want to be there, it's because Brad has informed them he doesn't want to be there. That, to my knowledge, hasn't happened. Uh, and if that doesn't happen, then I and they don't and they are insisting they don't want to trade him at all. I can't predict that they're going to trade him. Things can change, but as of now, I, there's no evidence they will. Yeah, I would just say reading tea leaves and how the league kind of operates now would just make a lot of sense. For yeah, it would trade, make, but it would make a lot, of, especially considering like. We went through a stretch where great players didn't really bring back that much. But now you're coming off of the Paul George trade. You're coming off of uh, the Tobias Harris trade. Uh, you're coming off of the Anthony Davis trade where these guys now different – they're different leverage situations. That bring out Paul George – the Clippers weren't trading for Paul George. They were trading for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, right? And that's why they gave up as much as they did. The Lakers yeah. were backed into corner. I'm like, all right, we got to give up a ton for Anthony Davis, and they gave up a ton for Anthony Davis. Uh, the Tobias Harris trade, I don't even know what possessed uh, Philadelphia to give up as much as they did um, for for a second rental of another very good player, but they gave up a lot. I'm not sure any of those players are analogous to this situation. And, of course, you have to account for the fact that Paul George just finished third in MVP and Anthony Davis is a perennial MVP candidate. And while Bradley Beal is an excellent player, he's not quite on that level, though I do think he's a better player than Tobias Harris. All that being said, there is a new leverage situation 
even if Bradley Beal says, I went out and the league knows it, which again, literally no indication that that is at all the case. Uh, in fact, he, we are only six months removed from Beal saying that he wants to die in a wizard's uniform, uh, which I don't believe. But That means absolutely nothing. It means absolutely nothing. But if we're going to actually read the evidence that we have and not project our own emotions onto a dude, um, that's the evidence we have, right? So the one thing that I will say about this is that I forgot where I was going when I brought up the Dino Wizards jersey. <laughs> you have a real talent for this. Red, real talent. Uh, I should I should just fold right now. This is over. Let's talk more about double teaming. Let's talk I, more I about this that, Devin Booker yeah, double teaming. I, I think that this is a sign that the episode has come to its natural conclusion. Is what I, is what I think. Does does that like I I don't know if it's if it's happening. Oh, here's what I was gonna say. Okay. Uh, those natural leverage points that happened in the Paul George trade, the Anthony Davis trade, and while those guys are better players, you can't necessarily project those onto a potential Beal trade if he says he wants out. But there is a very natural leverage point, uh, which the Wizards will have if they decide they're going to trade Beal for whatever the reason. And it's that Bradley Beal, there is, if he changes teams between now and next summer, there is a very good chance Bradley Beal will be the best player, potentially by far, to change teams over the next year. Because next summer's free agency class is dreadful. It is really bad. And now that Draymond signed an extension, it is even worse. There are no players even close to as good as Beal. And Beal's not a free agent until 2021. So if the Wizards trade him at the deadline, or if they trade him even next summer when there's only one year left on his deal, he is going to be the best player changing teams. There's going to be some team, probably multiple teams out there, who are like, man, we, New Orleans thinks, man, Zion is everything we could have hoped for and more. Lonzo is developing. We're extending Ingram. He's developing. we got a great core. Let's let's use all these damn picks we got from the Lakers, and we're going to get Bradley Beal, and we're going to add to this, and we are going to be a legit top five team in the West next year. Let's do it. But we need Bradley Beal because we can't add anybody else because there's nobody else to add. Like, that is a leverage point because there's going to be some other team that's going to think they're a Bradley Beal away, and the only guy they can get in that situation is Bradley Beal. So I think the Wizards with using recent trades as kind of a baseline and given the situation that Beal will be the best player out there. Like they could get a ton if they, if they chose to, but right now they don't want to. Yeah. I think you have to strike while the iron's hot in the NBA right now. If last summer told us anything, if the summer of 2021, which just looks like such a monstrous time of uncertainty and change and turnover, um, will teach us another thing. I, I just think like everything you said at this point is true. And, but like, we don't know who's going to be on, what stars are going to be unhappy by next summer and who wants to get traded out of their contract into another team's cap space and, and that sort of thing. So right now, yes, I, I agree, but it's so difficult to plan long-term right now in the NBA. Got anything else? I'm fresh out of ideas. Yeah, aren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> so 
isn't it, isn't it amazing in a podcast in which we start it with how we're checked out and there's nothing to talk about and we end it with legit checking out, forgetting what we were saying and then saying that we're out of ideas, that we still yeah. went almost an hour? It's a sign, but we're two talented people, I guess. No, I think we're two very untalented people. <laughs> I think we're two people with significant problems. Probably. I don't endorse this podcast. We both we both sounded like ex- extraordinary idiots at different points. I just want to thank you for wasting an hour of my day. <laughs> I'm honored. Uh, plug, Mike does incredible work at SB Nation. Uh, legit, and I know this because I've worked alongside you. I do not say this about all my guests. Legitimately one of the, like, A-list, most hardworking people in the entire industry. It's crazy. We used to call you the machine behind your back at Fox. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, it's I did wild. not know that, but, but, but thank you so much for it. Yeah, that. Jovan and I used to call you the machine because we were like, how did he write all of this in like five minutes? <laughs> what is happening? Like, <laughs> wait, I need, I need a break. Penis still going. What the hell is happening? Uh, yeah, dude just works like a maniac, and that's why – he knows the game so well. So so read his stuff at SB Nation. It is great. And uh, any anything to plug, anything coming out, anything big, Twitter, all that? Uh, not right now at the moment, hence me being completely unplugged from the NBA. But uh, I guess follow me at, on Twitter at Michael V. Pina. That would be tremendous. All right. And uh, subscribe to Wizards After Dark. Give us five stars on iTunes. Leave a review. The reviews, as I always say, every single time, the reviews actually help with the uh, with the iTunes ratings and all that. So it would be very cool if you have something nice to say, if you also left a nice review. I'm going to be back next week. After next week, I am taking vacation again, taking two weeks off, going away. I will not be podcasting while I'm away. So this podcast is going to be on a two-week hiatus, uh, but I will talk to you next week and uh, done after that. But uh, I don't know. I don't know who I'll have on. Peter, maybe I'll bring you back next week. I was about to say, people could just listen to this episode twice during the the week off. (laughs) Always do more of your time. Or I'll find somebody else. Who knows? Either way, I will talk to you guys then.